Well, let's pray. Father God, as we look at your sacrifice, we ask that you would help us to understand it, to embody it, and for us to offer our thanks to you. Lord, there is nothing that we can offer you but our very lives, and not even that to earn your love, but just out of response to your love. And so, Father, as we look at your love today, we just are so thankful. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear from you, that you would loosen my tongue to speak your truth and only your truth, and that anything that's not from you would just be either not said or just go over our heads, but your truth would remain. In Christ's name, amen. So today is Good Friday, as we mentioned before. Today is the day that we remember the death of Jesus the Christ. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and eventually died, something significant happened. As Christians, we understand that Jesus' death is no ordinary death. But to understand why Jesus' death is no ordinary death, we need to go back. We need to go back before the crucifixion, back before Christmas, the birth of Jesus, back to the Old Testament and to Old Testament sacrificial system. There were two ways that the Jewish people sacrificed for their sins. There were lots of sacrifices that they did, but there were two main ways that they atoned for their own sins. The first way that we see in Leviticus 5 was the sins for their regular sins, everyday sins. The type of sins that happen when we, we walk in a messy world. And each and every one of us have these sins that kind of stick to us. And it's kind of like cleaning your boots after you've gone to the barn. You just have stuff stuck to you. In the same way, sin sticks to us as we interact with our world. And the problem with this sin, and we're going to look at it in Leviticus 5, is that this sin was a constant issue. And so there was constant sacrifices needing to be done. That the Jewish people would take their sacrifices to their high priest. And that they would offer these sacrifices to them. In a minute you're actually going to see some people offering their sacrifices to their high priest. Usually first you have the high priest come and they offer their own sacrifice to cleanse themselves of the sin that they have in their lives. And then what happens is that more and more people have to come and offer their sacrifices to God. These sacrifices were unblemished animals. But even with unblemished animals, you would still have blemishes in them. But let's look at Leviticus 5 together. This is what Leviticus 5 says. If you are called to testify about something that you have seen or that you know about... It is sinful to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. And so if you choose to lie, that's punishable for your sin. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. And when you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal or a domestic animal or an animal that scurries along the ground. So if you kill a rat... You have to atone for it for your sin. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. And when you realize what you've done, you must admit your guilt. 
Or suppose that you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or for bad. When you realize it's foolishness, you must admit your guilt. When you become aware of your guilt, and there are all these ways that you can become guilty of sin, then you must confess your sin. And again, how do we confess our sin? How do we atone for our sin? By this constant, constant sacrifices. Then you must bring to the Lord as the penalty for your sin a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is the sin offering with which the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. But if you can't afford to bring a sheep, you may bring the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. One of the birds will be for a sin offering and the other one will be a burnt offering. You must bring them to the priest who will present the first bird as the sin offering. He will wring its neck, but without severing its head from the body. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the sides of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained out at the base of the altar. This is the sin offering. Now, we don't have blood here, but if you, if you look at all these offerings, you can imagine the blood. The, the priest will then prepare the second bird as a burnt offering, following all the procedures that have been prescribed. And through this process, the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. And so all of these worshipers, all of these sinners that are coming down the aisle, at this point they are forgiven, but if you watch, they're coming back. And the reason is because this was a band-aid solution. This was a temporary solution. It didn't fulfill, it didn't solve the sin problem. Now there's a second way that, that, that people would satisfy their sin, and that was on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, what would happen is that the, the high priest, the chief priest, would enter this place called the Holy of Holies, this inner part of the temple, where no one could go, only the Ark of the Covenant was there, no one else could go there, until once a year, the high priest could go. And the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies just once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. But he had to make sure that he was right with God in order to do that. One of the interesting things about the high priest, I read that they would tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest before he went into the Holy of Holies. And the reason for this was that if he died in the Holy of Holies... No one could go in to get him. Not a stinky priest for another year. And so they tied this rope to his ankle so that they could pull him out if he did something that offended God. Which makes me wonder, is this prescriptive or was this reactionary? Is this because they thought through someone might die in there? Or was it because someone actually died in there, they couldn't get in for a year, and they said, the next guy is going in with a rope? But again, even on the Day of Atonement, the sins of the nation were cleansed until the next year. It was a constant, constant cycle of sacrifice and atonement and sacrifice and atonement and sacrifice and atonement. You can read about the the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. But as you see here, this sacrificial system was a constant system of blood. It was this constant 
need for forgiveness of sins. It was his constant way of trying to atone for their sins. In fact, Hebrews 9 says this, Indeed, under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. And so the Jewish people continued to substitute animals for their own sin, constantly sacrificing more and more for the brokenness of the nation. Thanks, guys. You can stop now. (laughs) Thank you, high priest. You see, the problem, the problem was that these sacrifices didn't deal with the sin issue. They were a band-aid solution. They were just constantly asking for God's forgiveness and then going back into sin. It didn't change our sinful hearts. It didn't change our sinful lives. It just moved the sin to an animal. And then the animal died in our place. But we still had sin in our lives. And so Jesus comes to us as the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus comes to us not as a band-aid solution, not as a sacrifice that needs to be sacrificed again and again and again, but Jesus comes to deal with the sin problem once and for all, to cleanse us fully and completely and finally from our sin, to destroy sin from the root and to pay once and for all the penalty of our sin. This is why John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what we read about in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, is this. The author of Hebrews understood that this was a problem. This is a big problem. It might be convenient for the, for, for the sheep and the goat farmers, but eventually you're going to run out of livestock. So this is what they say in the book of Hebrews. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. This was not what life was meant to be. It was not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, and we saw that year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If this could have provided perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. 
For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priests stand and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifice again and again and again and again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice. This is, again, this is why John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus offers the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all other sacrifices. His very life, as the author of Hebrews says in another place, unlike those other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this on their own they did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the, of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. Paul says it this way, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Freedom from sin Freedom from this constant rat run of band-aid solutions. Freedom once and for all in Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice. And unlike the Old Testament system where they had to happen again and again and again, Jesus dies once and for all. And when we sin in our lives... Jesus doesn't go back to the cross. He took care of our sin, past, present, and future, on the cross. His sacrifice was that good. The other thing that happened when Jesus went to the cross was that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, that place that the high priest went once a year, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies and the inner temple, tore in two from top to bottom. The reason it tore in two, it's amazing, the reason why it tore in two was because the barrier between God and humanity was no longer there. That Jesus takes away the barrier between us and God, our sin. And so because of his sacrifice, we can now be reconciled with God. We can be made right with God. God invites us back into relationship with himself. Not through a veil, not through a shadow, but that we might live with him face to face. No other sacrifice is needed. No other atonement is required. God offers his love, forgiveness, and grace to you, to me, to all. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love and for your grace. We are humbled by it. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing about your love that we can take credit for. 
you went to the cross for us while we still hated you. You died in our place when we didn't realize we needed you to die in our place. Thank you, Lord. Help us to not take that sacrifice for granted. Help us to live our lives thankful for your sacrifice, thankful for your love, that we might show your love to those around us in words and in deed, that we might proclaim your love to those around us today, that yes, you die on the cross, but you don't stay there. Yes, you are buried in a tomb, but you don't stay there. That we are people of hope. That we are people who can celebrate that three days later you rose from the grave. Lord Jesus, we claim that hope today. And we thank you for your love. In Christ's name, amen.